Well, today we continue in our series in the study in Ephesians. And we're looking at some timeless teaching from chapter 6, verses 1 through 4. Today we're going to look at some of these eternal principles of God's Word that help direct our home life. Well, the father passed by his son's bedroom and was astonished to see his bed nicely made and everything neat and tidy. Then he saw an envelope propped up on the pillow. It was addressed, Dad. With great apprehension, he opened the envelope and he read the letter with his trembling hands. Dear Dad, it is with great sorrow that I am writing you. I had to elope with my new girlfriend because I wanted to avoid a scene with you and Mom. I'm truly in love with Joan, and she's so nice. I knew you would not approve of her because of her piercings and tattoos and the fact that she's so much older than I am. But it's not just our love, Dad. She really gets me. Joan says we're going to be very happy together. She owns a trailer in the woods and has a whole stack of firewood, just enough for the whole winter. We share a dream of being together forever. Please don't worry, Dad. I'm 15, and I know how to take care of myself. I'm sure we'll be back to visit someday so that you can get to know your grandchildren. Your son, Chad. P.S. Dad, none of the above is true. As the father finally breathes again. I'm over at Tommy's house. I just wanted to remind you that there are things worse in life than the report card that's in the desk drawer. I love you. Call when it's safe to come home. (laughs) That's right. Parenting, right? Funny, I'm sure, but at the same time, I'm not sure how long it would have taken a dad to, to start laughing. Well, here's one from a parent's perspective. All right, an elderly man in Phoenix calls his son in New York City and says, I hate to ruin your day, but I have to tell you, that your mother and I are divorcing 45 years and we've just had enough. Pop, what are you talking about, the son asks. We can't stand the sight of each other anymore, the old man says. We're sick of each other and I'm sick of talking about this. So you call your sister in Chicago and tell her. Frantic, the son calls his sister who explodes on the phone. They are not getting a divorce, he says. I'll take care of this. So she calls Phoenix, immediately screams at her father, you are not getting divorced. Don't do a single thing till I get there. I'm calling my brother back, and we'll both be there tomorrow. Until then, don't do a thing. So the old man hangs up the phone and turns to his wife. Okay, he says, they're coming for Thanksgiving, and they're paying their own fares. (laughs) Now, how do we get them to come for Christmas? (laughs) You see, parenting, grandparenting, can bring some of the greatest joy, some of the greatest laughter, some of the greatest experiences of our lives. But the opposite's also true, isn't it? Parenting, grandparenting can bring some of life's most difficult and discouraging and painful moments. You'll hear a parent say, I I never knew I could love another person that way. And then you'll hear them say, I never knew I could feel heartache like that. Even with all the great eternal parenting principles of the Bible, parenting is never just an objective equation. It's not math. Parenting is not one plus one equals two. 
The many variables of our God-given personality makes every parenting encounter different and even unique. Parenting as one unique person with their own sinful selfishness, with another unique person with their own sinful selfishness, raising another unique person with their own sinful selfishness. There's no simple parenting formula. God created us with dignity. He created us with choice and with personhood, placing us in all these differing life experiences. And he mixes that all together in a totally distinctive, unique person. God created all that diversity, knowing full well that with such immense variety, which is the spice of life, also comes great challenge and the challenge of parenting. Within our families, Good parenting varies according to the needs of our child, and the parents themselves are constantly growing and changing. It can seem like the first child has a completely set of different parents than the last child. In my own family, my older brothers and sisters talk about my mom as this incredibly strict disciplinarian. This German mother who, who was exactly that and the stories that they tell. But I never experienced that mom. Never once. My mom was passive and hands-off. Difficult life circumstances had taken their toll on my mom. Whether difficult life circumstances or, or just pursuing growth and maturity in our own lives, the parent is always changing. And wow, do our kids change. It's amazing how they change. Somewhere in the very definition of childhood is the word change. Parenting often feels like we're never shooting from a stable target or shooting at a stationary target. Everything is moving. Everything is in flux. Our aim is to be the very best parent we can be, but at times, that's so difficult and challenging. So in the midst of the fluidity of parenthood, in the midst of the ever-changing challenges of parenting, God's Word has eternal, rock-solid, never-changing, life-giving truth that he wants us to know. These verses in the Bible that give us structure for running a godly home. So please turn in your Bibles with me there to Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians 6, and I'll read verses 1 through 4. It says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise. That it may go well with you and that you may live a long life in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. The first thing that we notice is really something very startling for the culture in Paul's day. Paul directly addresses children. So that means several things. He was, that means that he was expecting this letter to be read in the presence of children. Paul takes for granted that the presence of children within the congregation and makes their education in Christ a priority. Educating children was a priority in the early church. From the inception of the church, social distinctions and societal expectations and even rigidly held public norms of both the Roman and Jewish cultures, were transformed by the gospel of Christ. 
Through the gospel, the mystery of the church has been revealed. The church, the body of Christ, transforms the very fabric of all of our relationships. See, we're no longer male and female. We're no longer child and adult. We're no longer husband and wife, employee or boss. And church, we are one in Christ. We are one family, brothers and sisters together in Christ as God is our Heavenly Father. Remember in Ephesians, in the end of chapter 2, in the beginning of chapter 3, Paul goes on and on and on about God's incredible plan of unity to create this thing called church, this special creation. The church is the one place on planet Earth where all racial, all age, all societal differences stop at the door and we all come in together, brothers and sisters, equal together, one in Christ, one in serving each other. When I was a youth pastor, I, I thought the phrase, the youth are the church of tomorrow, was kind of strange. The youth are the leaders of the church tomorrow, yes. But the youth, the children, are the church today. It's important that we, as the present adult leaders of the church, make sure that church isn't just for us. Just not in our image, just catering to our preferences, but for all of us, men and women, children and youth, for the whole body of Christ. This truth is one of the reasons why as a church we work so hard in children's and youth ministries, in VBS and Word of Life and Sunday School and Children's Church. Not just so the church will be healthy tomorrow, but so that the church can be healthy and vibrant Today, we want the whole body of Christ, all of them, alive and well. As Paul addresses the children in verse 1, he gives us as parents and grandparents and church workers some important rock-solid principles to help us. The driving truth of this passage is children need to learn obedience. Children, obey your parents. Our anti-authoritarian American culture doesn't like that word obey very much. What right does someone else have to tell me what to do? We much prefer to talk about independence and freedom and rights. Unfortunately, this philosophy trickles down into our homes. But the Bible calls parents to be the authority of their homes. This is not so that we can rule but so that we can show to our children that we too are under authority. See, the truth is we are all under authority. Our children are under authority because we are under God's authority, bowing our hearts to following God's word. Who is the ultimate authority in a Christian home? God is the ultimate authority in a Christian home. And every member of the family willingly submits to God's authority. We're not supposed to be our child's friend. We're not supposed to be their pal or their peer. We are called by Jesus Christ to be the child's parent. We have authority. If God expects children to obey their parents, then God expects parents to be leading in authority in their home. Teaching our children to live and prosper under our authority is a vital step to preparing our children to live and prosper under the authority of Jesus Christ in their lives. We as parents, as adults, 
are blessed to be under God's authority. It is the privilege of our lives to be obedient to Jesus Christ. Is that our attitude about God's rule and authority in our lives? Do you delight in obeying God? Do you rejoice in God's authority over you? Do your children see in you a a person who is striving to be obedient? Do we model God's blessing? Do we model that we enjoy? It's our privilege to be under God's authority. We as adults lack wisdom, maturity, and understanding. And we gain that by submitting ourselves in obedience to God and his word. It is good for us. It brings God's blessings to us to be under his authority. Well, our children lack wisdom experience, understanding, and maturity. It is their blessing to be under our authority. It is their privilege to have parents, especially parents, that seek after God. Teaching our children obedience and teaching our children to be under authority is God's blessings for them. Well, what does obedience mean? If our children are to obey, then what does that look like? Well, it means the same for them as it does for us as obedient children of God. Obedience is willing submission. Obedience is willing submission to God's authority. Our obedience and our willing submission to God's authority in our lives is when God says, do it, we do it. Without excuse, without challenge, and without delay. Specifically then for our children, obedience is willing submission to God's authority That causes them to be willingly submissive to our authority without excuse, without challenge, and without delay. You know, as parents, we all have limits of when our children have to obey or they've gone too far. And our kids know that. They know when they really have to obey. They know how far they can push. When we start to use their middle name then they had better start obeying because now they're really going to get in trouble. When we count to three for the third time, now they know they really have to obey. When our face turns red and our voice starts to raise and that crazy neck vein starts to protrude out, then they know they better obey. So instead of going through this game that we often go through of obedience, we need to train ourselves We need to train our children to actually be obedient when we tell them without complaining and without excuse. The simple definition of obedience that we use in our home is doing what you're told right away. Doing what you're told right away. Now, I add a step here, which is definitely not always worth the greatest, but I still feel like I need to do this and it's important to do. That I like to give the child an opportunity of obedience without me just being some kind of, you know, authoritarian over, overlord of my child's life. So I offer my child an opportunity to respectfully respond with a question or comment before they go and obey. Maybe I say to them, here's an example, go clean your room. And their mom's already told them to do something else. I want to have a conversation with them. So they can tell me that they're already doing something mom has asked them to do. Obedience is doing what you're told right away, but they have this opportunity to respectfully comment. Or maybe I say, go clean your room. 
and they're just one page away from the end of a chapter of a book they're reading. They can respectfully ask, may I finish reading my chapter first and then go clean my room? You see, there are many variables in life and that I don't understand at the moment that I'm telling them something to do. I want them to obey, but I want them uh, to obey not as I lord over my authority to them in some unreasonable way. The goal of obedience is not to have my command immediately obeyed, like some army drill sergeant. No, see, the goal of obedience is to train their actions to shepherd their heart. We want more than just outward conformity of our children. We want to teach their hearts. Sometimes, obviously, all children defiantly choose not to obey. This is not hard for us to understand. Because we do that, right? As children of God, as adults, sometimes we defiantly choose not to obey God. In reality, the two aren't very different at all. In Hebrews 12, 6, it says that God disciplines those he loves. To be a follower of Christ means that God disciplines us to train us to obedience. When our children choose not to obey, then God commands the parents to exercise their authority over them and to train them to obey, just like God does for us. You see, son, for me to be a good parent, I have to be a good follower of Christ. Jesus tells me to teach you obey, so I have to obey him. If I do not train you to obey, then I am being disobedient to God. I am under authority just like you. Ephesians 6.1 doesn't command children to obey their parents, but, he, but tells them to do it in the Lord. Children are to obey their parents because they're striving to obey God. They don't just obey for obedience sake. They don't just obey because I said so. They obey because they're following Christ. It is their ambition to be good followers of Christ. Children must strive to respond to that ultimate obedience by being obedient to their parents. Obeying your parents is not just a wise and good thing to do. It is a spiritual thing. It is a godly thing. It is a righteous thing to do. That's how the verse ends. It is right. Obedience is right. It is righteous. It is virtuous. It is honorable. It is just. It is moral. The very fabric of the family is obedience in the Lord for the children and for the parents. The parallel passage in Colossians 3.20 says, Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. One of the very best ways for children to please the Lord is to be obedient to their parents. Obedience is not just outward conformity to a command, but is a spiritual commitment of the heart. Verse 2 there is a quote of the fifth commandment of the Ten Commandments. Honor your father and mother. Every Jewish child grew up memorizing these Ten Commandments. Paul is appealing to the children on the basis of the revealed Word of God. He's instructing them to obey because they already know that that's what God wants for them. He's making a clear connection between that obeying God children need to obey their parents. The key word there in 
The fifth command is not obey, but honor. Honor includes obedience, but it takes it to the next level. Honor is respect and esteem. I found this great definition for honor. It says, honor is the, lo- the form love assumes towards those who are placed above us by God. Honor is the form love assumes towards those who are placed above us by God. Honor is a word from the heart. We're called to honor our parents in the Bible. We're called to honor those who are older in the congregation. We're called in the Bible to honor those in governmental authority over us. We're called in the scripture to honor those in spiritual leadership over us. And we're called to honor in employment those who are over us. Honor is something that God commands a parent to do in their life, just as he commands a child to do in theirs. Do you show honor to those in authority in your life, modeling for your children what it means to honor? Do you expect your children to honor you, but you don't show honor to your parents? Or you don't show honor to those God has commanded you to honor? Remember, parenting is more caught than taught. Verse 3 is a promise. It says that it may go well with you and you may live a long life. If one follows the command to honor the parents, God gives them a promise. Here's the main idea of verse 3. Obeying and honoring your parents brings blessings to the child. Honor and obedience bring spiritual and physical blessings to a child. This is not some kind of guaranteed promise. This is a a proverb kind of promise. This is a common sense promise. Here's the truth. Doing things God's way is the best way. Doing things God's way leads to blessings. Not doing things God's way leads into many varying dangers and difficulties in your life. The Bible repeats this truth over and over again throughout the scriptures, cover to cover. For example, in Psalm 128.1, it says, Blessed is everyone who fears the Lord, who walks in his ways. Psalm 112.1 says, Praise the Lord. Blessed is the man who fears the Lord, who greatly delights in his commands. Jesus himself said in Luke 11.28, Blessed are those who hear the word of God and keep it. And the negative truth is taught in Psalm 1. It says, Blessed is the man who who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scoffer, blessings in what we don't do. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in this law doth he meditate day and night. You see, the very best thing for our children is that they learn to obey their parents in the Lord. That's the very best thing for them. Parents, if you want God's richest blessings on your children then train them to obey, to train them to seek God's help to change their hearts. We can picture this verse like this. I got this from the video training and different things that we'll be doing later on uh, from the Trip Brothers in a Sunday school class. It's a circle of blessing. If we as parents teach our children to honor and obey, our children will receive spiritual and life blessings from God. And this is a picture for us here of of these verses. Well, then Paul goes on to address the parents. 
Verse 4 directly challenges a father in his parenting role. But because the father is the head of the family, the truth also applies to both parents. First, there's this negative challenge of not provoking or not exasperating your child. Not doing things that lead your child to rebel against you and rebel against God. Here in verse 4, it says that exasperating your child can lead them to anger. And in the parallel passage in Colossians 3.21, it says, Fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. Inconsistent, hypocritical, overbearing, underinvolved, and overindulgent parenting can all lead our children to respond to their parents in anger and discouragement. Not only leading to rebellion in actions, but rebellion in heart. Inconsistent parenting makes the child wonder, what, what parent is showing up today? Is it the angry, controlling parent that gets mad at everything I do? Or is it the carefree, almost distant parent who really doesn't care? Inconsistent parenting, parenting your child according to your mood, leaves your child confused without a firm foundation, not knowing what is going on. Hypocritical parenting, making your children obey and be under your authority while you live your life to a totally separate set of rules and values, makes your child feel cheated and makes them doubt that there is any value at all in any of this parenting. Overbearing, over-controlling parents discipline their children too much. The house is ruled by rules and laws with little grace or understanding. The children never measure up, so they just give up on you and give up on God. Under-involved parents exasperate their children by simple negligence. No rules, no dinner, no structure, no feeling of care or security. If my parents don't care, why should I? Then in our culture, there's a trend nowadays of being this overindulgent parent. The kids are given so much, they're pampered and coddled and spoiled. The latest fads, the latest phones, the coolest clothes, the latest involvement, all reinforcing the value that external things are the most important things and ignoring their heart. And then when the child eventually experiences the shallowness of these things, they wonder where their parents were. Instead, parenting guides your child into a healthy understanding of life, a healthy understanding of God. It is consistent with the same rules applying to everyone. It is balanced with rules and with grace, with laws and with love. And it guides a child with structure and with boundaries, and it teaches the child the value of character is the most important and not the newest iPhone. Parenting, as verse 4 says, is bringing up your children in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Discipline means exactly that. Discipline. For children to grow, to be all that they can be in life and godliness, they need consistent, caring, understandable discipline. Each child responds to different levels of discipline, different kinds of discipline. So our discipline needs to conform to the needs of our child. Discipline is not a matter of our mood or emotion. Discipline is not an expression of our irritation, anger, or impatience. It is not appropriate to discipline a child when you're not in control of yourself. Because discipline is not about you. 
Godly parental discipline is always about what is best and most appropriate for the child. It is never appropriate under the guise of discipline to physically or verbally hurt your child. Discipline is never, I've had it with you, now you're going to get it. Discipline is always focused on what is best for the child. When our children are defiantly disobedient, we as parents must exercise our God-given responsibility and authority and discipline our children. But we must do it in a way that connects the discipline to their hearts, that points them to forgiveness and restoration with the parents and with God. Instruction is training and correction and advice and encouragement and reproof. Where discipline is focused on correcting disobedient behavior, instruction is focused on teaching new behaviors. See, parenting is much more than disciplining our children when they do something wrong. It is much more instructing them and training them on how to live a life full of love and faith. Well, let me put up another picture here for us that kind of adds verse 4 to verses 1 through 3. You see, when our children leave the circle of blessing and they choose to be disobedient, they move from a place of God's blessing to a place of God's chastening. They move from a place of safety into a place of danger. By the way, when we're disobedient to God, we're doing the same thing. When our children are disobedient, they are moving outside of God's plan for them. Discipline is returning our children to God. Discipline is not punishment. Discipline is not punitive. Discipline and instruction is restorative. The focus is rescuing our children and leading them back to the circle of blessing. The focus is to constrict their behavior to get to their hearts. Discipline loves our child enough to get them back to the circle of blessing. That's how much God loves us. Listen to these verses about God and us in Hebrews chapter 12. It says, My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves, and he chastens every son whom he receives. If it was for discipline that you have to endure, God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whose father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline, in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as seemed best to them, but he... God disciplines us for our good, that we may share in his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. But later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness for those who have been trained by it. Since God so loves us, to discipline us, should we not so love our children to exercise our God-given authority and to discipline them. You see, godly discipline is loving and caring. It's rescuing and restoring. Everything works best following its design. A train works best on the tracks, but fails miserably on the road. A boat works great in the water, but can't go anywhere on the land. God's design, God's plan for the family, 
Parents leading, children obeying. That's God's best. That's God's design. Let's pray. Father, we are so thankful for the power of your word, for, the, for how it speaks to us today, how it gives us these principles and these guidelines, these things that we can learn. Lord, help us. Parenting is such a challenge. That's why we started off the sermon talking about that. There's probably no greater area in my life where the failures of parenting come crashing down in such a difficult way. And Lord, we give them to you. We give our children to you. You're not perfect parents. Not even close. We thank you that you redeem us and our actions as you redeem our children and their actions. And so we give you our parenting. We offer it to you. Lord, we want to to grow in our understanding of authority and discipline and instruction and obedience. And we want to do that in light of the authority that you have over us so that we might grow in discipline and understanding and authority in our relationship with you and your, your reign in our lives. So Lord, teach us and change us. Humble us and tender our hearts so that we might follow you in love and obedience as your children, dear Father, in Jesus' name, amen.